Welcome to From the Rookery End. We are days away from Wembley. My name is John. With me is Jason. Hello there. And Mike. Well, Kevin Friend will be pleased, won't he? There's a bigger div than him, <laughs> apparently. Yeah, John Moss made a bit of a buffoon of himself, by all accounts, didn't he, for the Leicester game. So, yeah. John Moss, what a div. What a div. <laughs> Stick on the T-shirts. Uh, what a div. Uh, we're days away from Wembley. Uh, we are three lifelong Watford fans, season ticket holders of Rookery End. Uh, and these podcasts are our take on Watford. Um, whew, let's see where we are. <sighs> We passed forty points, Michael. We've passed forty points. Yeah, I'm I'm quite old. I'm fat and bald. I certainly look old, even if I'm not. But and I really should know better. I should know how to moderate my um, my behaviour as a football fan, or at least my feelings. And isn't it amazing how much better you feel? A to have ticked over forty points and to have had a win, an away win. It just it changes your whole outlook. It changes your feel of the season. It changes how you feel going into the into the semi final. Um, but I, I've been saying for a long time. I think I thought thirty seven thirty eight was going to keep us up, and I think it probably still would have been enough. But yeah, it really is great to to. to it feels like we've stamped our feet. There's a line in the sand, but it's more of a line in the concrete. Do you know what I mean? It's <laughs> like we've you've really done it. We've we've delivered now, and there's what far four games, four league games, uh, four, five league games. And the other one still to go. So this is it. Did make me laugh. The Ben Watson interview on the um, on the uh, on the Watford website. It said it's been an incredible season so far, but it could be a special one. And I thought, well, is it uh, is special better than incredible? Then <laughs> I thought both similar, but it has got the now got the potential. We can sort of kick our shoes off and really enjoy it now. So yeah, just magnificent. Really great. Really great. Uh, Wembley is on the way, uh, Jason. Apparently, you're you're out of contention. Is that right? Uh, yes, unfortunately, I picked up a, a foot injury uh, last week, so um, any uh, plans to surprise Palace and include me in the starting lineup has been scuppered. Uh, but we are, we're going to test your uh, managerial um, decision making because um, you're quite a successful manager, aren't you, Jace? Uh Successful co-manager. Um, <laughs> okay, co-manager. I have to make sure I specify that because at least one member of the team will be listening to this podcast. <laughs> so, yeah, successful, very successful co-manager. Uh, and how are you? Is it Renault FC? It's it's Renault FC. Yeah, our results been so far. Uh, in recent games, I think our last four games, we've scored eight, ten, eleven, and eight. I think it's yeah, I've lost count. <laughs> oh, oh, that's the confidence. But we're going to put you test. You, you, the, the big debate that's going on at the moment is who will be that starting lineup at Wembley. We've got you know West Ham to come, but who are you going to put? So you've got the podcast to think about that. Who is your starting eleven going to be? Uh, we're also going to chat. We've, we've captured him. Uh, he's he's currently tied up outside. Um, we're going to bring him in later, uh, and we're going to interrogate a Crystal Palace fan to kind of get some information. Um, Jim Daly, a comedian and uh, and and podcaster and YouTuber, and we're going to find out what we need to know from him. Uh, plus, we're going to look back at some brilliant. Uh, semi-finals and some maybe not so brilliant semi-finals that Watford have been in in the past. But let's have a look back on West Bromwich Albion. A podcast made by Watford fans Fans. for Watford fans from the rookery end. said it on last week's podcast and I'm sticking by it because it was a fact. Gomez wins <laughs> games. Uh, Watford uh, away at West Brom. I think that was one of the big games every Watford fan was looking forward to when we made it to the Premier League. Oh, imagine the excitement. We're going to go to the Hawthorns. Oh, get you. You've gone big time already. <laughs> picking and choosing. <laughs> it was West Bromwich. 
I know, but go on, I, saying, I think the Hawthorns is one of the coldest grounds in the country because it's so high up. I don't think it's quite as cold as, as Oldham, but apparently it's quite cold. So I'm not sure I agree with you there, John. I'm not <laughs> sure if I was looking forward to... Uh, so especially sort of we're still... It's still a bit chilly at this time of the year. <laughs> if, yeah, if you're going up, you need to take your... Well, you need to take your hat and gloves and your scarf. But you said, you know, it's not... It was never going to be one for the purists, was it? I think we all knew kind of what that game was going to be to kind of defensive managers neither of them really wanting to lose so I don't think it was ever going to be a classic I think everyone went into it with their eyes wide open um, but it was a real opportunity for us to like we say get over that 40 points mark grab us drag ourselves over the over what we think is the finishing line so to speak and they did it and the beauty about it and it sort of kind of reignited everyone's season a little bit it's just a little bit of magic about that game was obviously the double penalty save Um and it just seems to be kind of indicative of Watford's season that those little pinpricks of delight have been peppered throughout the season. We've had Liverpool at home, had the Arsenal quarterfinal, we had the joy of beating Swansea, uh, and then we had this game, which would have probably just faded into a sort of normal run-of-the-mill 1-0 away win, which isn't that great to say, a run-of-the-mill away win. But it's been another little magical moment that's just got everyone, you know, we're talking about it now, we're all three of us grinning like, like Cheshire Cats. And so then, I'm, I'm grooming because I'm just I'm just uh, looking forward to the day I can get the joy of beating Swansea on DVD. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come off it! That first that first win of the season. Oh, you two, you've changed. You two, you old cynics, you've changed. That first win was was beautiful, and I'll, I'll remember that for a long time. <laughs> it's the DVD of one 0 That's what you're looking forward to. Oh, get out of it, you miserable old. Paris, whatever. But it was, you know, you say it was going to be two defensive managers. Jason, did it feel a little bit like forgetting the magic, you know, the brilliance that was, was Gomez, because Gomez wins games, um, that we were just the slightly better team of two middle of the table Premier League sides? Yeah, I think um, there are a clutch of, of teams in the middle of the, or sort of lower middle of the Premier League at the moment that are just sort of bumbling their way towards the end of the season, uh, forgetting our. FA Cup exploits the league as we've been saying a lot we we probably are safe and have probably been safe for a while but it's just getting there it's taken a long time and it's probably the same for all those clubs around us there are bigger clubs like Everton in there and and West Bromwich being one of them and smaller clubs like ourselves and Bournemouth are sort of happy to to be there and it's just nothing else is is sort of going for them nothing to play for really in the league and it's just sort of dragging themselves at the end of the season. Maybe there are some players already on holiday for some of those clubs. Mm-hmm. And Saturday really felt like it was, a before we started, a last game on match of the day mm. type game. And Gomez's penalty saves probably dragged it from the last game to be in the penultimate game of, the, <laughs> of match of the day. Um, That's the magic. There's a sprinklings of magic. Yeah. And, and ultimately, they got it done. You know, and it, it, three points in the Premier League still feels very, very special. I don't think we should get blasé about that. I think, it, all right, West Brom may be sort of ambling a little bit, but I don't think Tony Pulis will, will take too kindly if that's, if that's evident for, for too long. And that, that was a game that had to be won. And we didn't play, uh, I think it was the best ever Watford performance. And I don't think it'll be going next to my Swansea DVD <laughs> any, necessarily. But um, we had to win it and we did win it. And we, and we did whatever needed to be done to do it. And I think there's a... a the team needs a lot of credit 
for win any win any 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 match you win in the Premier League, you deserve a lot of credit for away at a Tony Pulis side, whatever stage of the season. Um, so I think we've been, perhaps been a little bit harsh saying, and you know they are we are both relatively safe, not much to play for for West Brom, but you still got to go and win these games. We do, we play. do, but the thing is, we've got to go and win a game next week, and it wasn't the most convincing. Get me in a happy place, ready for Wembley. It's a, no, I t- totally disagree. Totally disagree. And, and, and also, I mean, if we, if exactly the same thing happens on Sunday, yeah. and we win one nil, and Pantelimon saves two penalties, <laughs> then we're going to be delighted, aren't we? Yeah. Oh, is he hinting towards who he's picked in his uh, starting eleven? Oh, <laughs> maybe that's still to come. Uh, yeah, 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 it is one. We've come past forty points. Um, it's a happy place to be, and we can go into Wembley happy. But you say we've changed, Mike. Mm. Surely you should be getting those DVDs, but make them VHS. <laughs> VHS, Betamax, if you will. From the rookery end. It's coming. The FA Cup semi-final, it, it's on its way, Mike. Yeah, so we gather, John. You keep reminding us every 45 seconds. <laughs> Poor old West Ham. <laughs> <laughs> Poor old West Ham. Sod West Ham. They're the forgotten team, aren't they? But yeah, Wembley's on the horizon, mate. Yeah, uh, what would have been in the uh, FA Cup semi-final? How many times previously, Mike? Five. Correct. Sank. Um, we um, one. There's one thing in common about all five. Do you know what that is? Uh, no. Have a guess. Uh, we've uh, lost all but one of them. <laughs> Not them all the same, is it, Jason? Uh, they they've not all been at the same venue. I know that. No, that's so the other one I thought you might you might say Villa Park. No, no, no. first one was at White Hart Lane. Correct. Uh, we'll hear about that game uh, in a minute. Um, Watford scored one goal in every single one of them. Oh, good. So we will score a goal at least on Sunday. Um, let's let, look back at those past ones. What could we learn from them? First of the last two, two thousand three, two thousand seven. Mike, what's your recollection of those? Um, two different uh, recollections, really. Overarching, the Southampton game was one that, uh, which was two thousand and three, um, was one that I felt we were in with a vague chance with. They were in the Premier League at the time, and Watford were in the Championship. Um, we had a good good run to the the semi final. It felt like quite a rumbustrous cup final run. I think that was the year we beat Sunderland. Um, and there was the the famous retaken penalty, and then there was the Burnley quarter final, which felt like a a really special day at um, at Vicarage Road. Um, and I, yeah, I felt like we could have given Southampton a run for the money. As it turns out, not great. I don't think we we were in touch, but didn't really ask as many questions as as, as I'd have liked. And it felt like a bit of a wasted opportunity. Well, I do remember from that that game is that um, back then the semi finals were on the same day, and uh, we were in the pub in. Uh, in Aston, nice and early, a shock, shock horror, <laughs> and to watch the Aston Villa, uh, the Arsenal Sheffield United game, and uh, when Match of the Day came on, the theme tune came on, just the whole pub didn't miss a beat, just started singing the Match of the Day theme tune. Every man, woman, cat, dog, whatever was in there, just started. It was just quite a nice moment. I guess you had to be there. <laughs> no, it sounds charming. Uh, the the, the two thousand seven though, Jace, Manchester United, Rooney, Ronaldo, we're never going to win that, were we? No. No, I think it was, uh, you compare it to the 2003 semi-final, I think it was, uh, 2003 was a nice sunny day, I seem to remember it being a little bit of a drizzly day, 2007, that sort of summed up my uh, mood on the way to the game. There was always that, well, you never know, anything could happen, Uh, but I think it was clear from the start 
Manchester United bossy game. We then got back into it. Great goal from Hamel Boatza. Let's not forget that. But very quickly, they went back in front and it was sort of a a downward spiral from then on in. I seem to remember Mariapa played in that game. And I always had this thing about Mariapa where I felt when it came to the big games, he always used to struggle a bit. Um, And it looked no different. He looked a little bit out of his depth that day. Of course, it was a season we were in the Premier League, got relegated with Boothroyd. And it sort of pretty much followed the script of, of a lot of Premier League games that season. Let's go back to the magical time for Watford, uh, the 1980s, uh, when we first started watching Watford. Uh, Mike, you went to the 87, again at Villa Park, against Tottenham Hotspur. Yeah, and it's interesting you, you say magical, and I think that, that game has gone down in history for a number of reasons, but one of the ones that's always stuck with me is that that was the game when Graham Taylor realised that his time at Watford had come to an end because he said if Watford can't sell their tickets for a, a semi-final at Villa, we didn't sell out our allocation then. You think perhaps I've taken the club as far as I can and things are going to get getting a little bit stale. So I, I always remember it with a bit of sadness from that point of view because it felt like the 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 end for, for Watford and GT that first time round. But I also feel sorry for myself, of course. Cause <laughs> How I, old are you? Seven, eight? Yeah, something like that. I think it was about eight or... Well, it was nine. Nine. Okay. Um, but yeah, obviously really lucky to go as a, as a kid. Um, and what I really remember about it was just the sense of occasion around it. Um, and obviously we're starting to get those feelings again as we talk this week. You're super excited, I can tell. Um, but we all are. Um, and But that it was just so, as a child, as a kid, it was so exciting. My grandparents lived um, in Stratford. They were, um, on the mum's side, they, they were Aston Villa supporters. So we went up to stay with them the uh, the day before the game. And I remember getting hold of all the papers the day before. There were semi-final specials and the local paper had stuff about Watford. And I remember, such a sad, geeky kid, <laughs> As we drove up the motorway, I was holding up the paper so that people could see what I was reading. So I wanted them to know I was going to an <laughs> FA Cup semi-final. That's just, but that's just how excited I was yeah. and how proud I was to be going with Watford. I was so, so excited. And the talk was on the radio on the way up about who Watford were going to have in goal. How different it is. No, it's, it's the same question this year, but just a very, the, almost the opposite just, side of it. Fewer dislocated thumbs, fortunately. Well, let's say, yeah, touch wood, crikey, Mike, you could have uh, kiboshed the whole thing. And I just remember walking up with, with Dad to get the paper on the Saturday morning, asking him, do we know who's in goal? Do we know who's in goal? And of course, there was no internet, there was no mobile phone. Um, there's no way my uh, uh, nanny and granddad were going to let me nanny and granddad listen to me. <laughs> I've been taken up regressed. My nan and granddad were going to let me phone club call from the from the home phone. So I just remember just desperate for any information, and I just wanted the game to start. And my brother was with me. He's um, he had been seven, so we were just like two newborn puppies. I said, just running around. Dad, when are we going? When are we going? Um, It'd be the same on Sunday. Yeah, well, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, when you got there, and of course Villa Parks, it's, we got there nice and early, and you saw it slowly fill up, and you see the colour. Uh, the the white of Tottenham at one end and then the the amazing yellow and red at Watford at the, at the other, um, and it was just I just remember it so vividly. It was sort of like you sat you sat sat there agog, sort of open mouthed, knowing you were a part of something that everyone else was watching. Everyone else watched the cup cup semi finals, and it was just magic to know I was there and all my mates from school who supported all the other teams would be be watching. And then um, yeah, of course it all went sour very quickly, and it turns out we were sat next to. Um, some Tottenham fans who'd got got tickets in the Watford bit for whatever reason and they scored as he went up to celebrate he clumped me with his elbow and a combination of being sort of swiped round the head by this brute of a Tottenham fan and Watford uh, 
going 1-0 down relatively early was a bit much for me and uh, there might have been a little tear. Oh. Well, Jason went to the 84 uh, yeah. uh, semi-final and that was the only successful one we've had so far. Was it to get clumped by anybody in that one, Jason? Uh it was all a bit, bit tight to get to get clumped. I remember, remember the day. Well, I was similar age. I was ten years old, um, and I'd made a similar trip the month before. I'd been to the court final at St Andrews, um, which was a big sweeping terrace all the way round back and and down one side. And there was plenty of room to watch the game and watch us win. And still, my favourite ever Watford goal, the John Barnes one past Tony Coton. Um, so we made the same trip up, and of course we were playing Plymouth Argyle of, of Division Three then, and feeling pretty confident. Um, sort of just expected to come away with the win. Uh, again, nice sunny day. I remember my dad got me a flag. As soon as we got the turnstiles, copper there, ripped the flag off the pole. Not allowed to take that pole in there, sunny Jim. <laughs> so I had me, me brand new flag, just sort of holding it up and waving it. Uh, we're again, in reasonably early. We're in the whole end. So we've uh, positioned our well, uh, ourselves in front of a barrier with a gangway then in front. So there shouldn't be any problems with uh, with me being, to see, being able to see the game. Of course, at about two minutes to three, ground at the whole end actually fills up three four men deep in the in the gangway can't see a thing so my memory of the winning goal that day I remember I could see sort of probably uh two-thirds of the pitch so I could see Barnsley running down the wing then he's disappeared <laughs> then a ball has appeared over the top and then balls disappeared and then all of a sudden everyone's jumping up and down <laughs> I don't know, oh, we scored brilliant yeah great and that was it. Of course, we didn't score anything. We didn't score anything in the second half. I was sort of hoping, praying that we would score in the second half. Um, and it didn't quite pan out like that. It wasn't the, the sort of uh, easy win that I thought it was going to be as a naive 10-year-old. Plymouth put us under a lot of pressure and we were probably a bit lucky towards the end to get away with 1-0 win. And again, you can imagine seeing swathes of sort of green coming forward and then it will disappear and then sort of think, oh my God, what's going on? I can't <laughs> see what's going on. Please don't score. Um but we got there, we got fine. And at the end, sort of Taylor on the pitch with the players sort of coming over to thank the whole end support. That was amazing. And I do remember as well, sort of, uh, towards the end, the, the whole end actually broke out, I'm pretty sure, to, into a chorus of you'll never walk alone. And I've never heard Watford's fans sing that before. And I don't think I've ever heard it again. I, 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 I'm, I may be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's what happened. Well, you two uh, clearly had moments of uh, uh, that, that, you know, as, as every football fan has, has had special moments, and maybe we'll have one of those special moments um, uh, in the lovely, pristine um, Wembley. Uh, but uh, we weren't alive in 1970 when Watford played uh, Chelsea, uh, and uh, I got in touch with our friend Matt Rouse and said, "Do you know anybody?" Because I know he's not old enough to have, have to gone either, uh, and he put me in touch with a guy called Matt, Mike Schofield, uh, and I called Mike up the other day uh, and. And uh, he told me all about going to the 1970 FA Cup semi-final, uh, Watford Chelsea, at White Hart Lane. I was pretty pessimistic, I must say. And I, actually, I've been to see them earlier in the season. They really were very, they were absolutely brilliant. It was a, it was a great season. You know, we just signed the fabulous Ray Lug, and he was you know, making things happen. The great Keith Eddy was still, in my view, one of the greatest ever Watford players. He was kind of ruling the roost in defence. And essentially, we were holding our own in the second division, which in my eyes was the top of the tree. I, you know, we couldn't get any further because we'd been struggling in Division 3 for so many years. The teams that we were playing, I mean, I remember the first game we had that season, I think it was uh, Bolton Wanderers. To play a team like them is amazing. And to go to you know grounds like Burnden Park admittedly populated by about 
10,000 people. But it was amazing because usually we went to places like Shrewsbury Town. Even though we were kind of towards the bottom of the league, I mean, it was heaven as far as I was concerned because we'd got there, you know, in previous seasons. All of the people in the village I lived in supported either the local club Northampton Town or Liverpool or Man United. And I was the only one who had a real team who actually achieved something by getting promoted. So, yeah, I was full of optimism about the whole thing, and especially having had, you know, Stoke City down there and Gordon Banks and all those people. It'd been an amazing season. We were struggling, just about holding our own. It was fantastic. And I remember going to, I think it was the Gillingham game that we won 2-0, I think, at home to get to the semi-finals. You know, at the end of the game, kind of looking at the sky, thinking, my God, we're in the cup semi-final. This is not something that happens to a club like Watford. When I got back home from that game, everybody um, who usually was taking the mickey out of me for supporting such a hopeless club, they were really on, on my side. You know, how fantastic it would be. People at school were ruthlessly ripping me. How were we going to get slaughtered by Peter Osgood and co.? The actual day of getting tickets, I mean, that was that was a, an enormous day because you had to get up early on a Sunday morning and queue up down Vickery's Road to a turnstile to just kind of be, I think it was 8.30 on a Sunday morning or something like that, um, just to get a ticket. And, you know, the queue looked as if it was so long, I never thought I'd get one. And I'd had to travel down, get my dad to give me a lift all the way down from Northamptonshire to be there. And so just getting the ticket, you know, because you actually get, had to go through the turnstile bought the ticket out the other side and you, know, you can actually look at your FA Cup semi-final ticket whilst looking at the pitch. It was an amazing moment. So that really sticks in my mind. It's a freezing cold morning. The day of the match, really cold and damp. Um, and strangely enough, for some, I, I can't really remember the reason. I think it was probably because when you queued up to get your ticket, unless you were with all of your mates, you, you got a ticket for a different part of the ground or something. But I ended up going with a friend of the family who wasn't really a fan, but because they were in the semi-final, we managed to get tickets somewhere, somehow. So I wasn't with any of my friends. Um, but I do remember when we got to Tottenham, kind of having my worst fears confirmed because the great Keith Eddy, and there'd been some noise in the papers about him, you know, maybe not making the match because of injury. And of course, when you get there, there's the things you don't get anymore, like the you know the evening standard cup semi-final special on sale with pictures on the front page of all the Watford players. One of the players on the front page, but Walter Lee, the reserve the reserve centre half. So of course, I mean, my heart sank at this because it was clear to me that my great hero wasn't going to be playing. But going in, you know, into the ground on the terraces and everything like that. I mean, it was the crush was unbelievable. You know, whenever anything happened, there was enormous pressure on you. And I would, I would imagine, because I couldn't see, but I'm sure behind me, there was that amazing swirl of fans, you know, that would move forward. And I think if you look at the YouTube clip behind the Chelsea goal, you can definitely see at a moment that um, something happened in the penalty area, the fans kind of cascaded from the back to the front, squashing the people at the front. If you look at it on the television, it looks horribly dangerous, but... Having been, in, having been in crowds like that at that time, I don't remember it being terribly dangerous. You kind of took a few steps forward and you're either standing on a crush barrier and you got squashed a bit, but it wasn't anything terrible. But the big thing about that day um, was when you got into the ground and normally you go up and you see a, you know, a grassy pitch. I mean, there was hardly any grass. It was sand. It was just a yellow pitch. There'd been loads and loads of rain and a bit of doubt about whether the game would be on. 
I mean, they'd really gone to town. They must have emptied tons and tons of sand onto that pitch. I think probably for the first half, it was, as they used to call it in that day, a bit of a leveller, you know, because it wasn't possible to play any kind of game by playing the ball on the floor. From the kickoff, it was, I mean, I was just waiting for it to happen. It was completely inevitable. I mean, every time they got anywhere near the ball, it was in our penalty area, and our defenders were kind of looking round and didn't know what to do, and the ball was bouncing over their head and it was a miracle we weren't three down in the first five minutes and the Chelsea fans were incredibly loud because they had the covered end and the Watford fans had the open end and you couldn't hear the Watford fans and then of course they did score after not very many minutes there seemed to be far more Chelsea fans in the ground than Watford I was thinking oh my god you know this is going to be definitely going to be 10 and then suddenly out of the blue Terry Garvey still Garvey with a shot and a goal by Garvey what a surprise! And somehow Benetton this time that dive 1-1. Finders were sent forward originally. By this time, they'd kind of gone back into midfield a bit. And he picked up the ball in the midfield, took about seven or eight strides, and just kind of hit. Not the greatest shot. And Benetti dived, but it, I think what happened is it hit a piece of sand, where a, you know, a footprint in the sand, and bounced over Benetti's hand into the goal. I mean, we all looked at each other completely surprised because how could a shot like that be, you know, one of the greatest goals in England? But there it was, we'd scored. And suddenly, the whole game changed. It looked as if we might actually be able to hold them. They were still attacking and they still looked very good, but we were really attacking very hard in midfield. And I think, I, I do remember there being several, I think Garbit um, and Warren Harris, Chopper Harris, really going in very hard on each other and kind of me thinking, well, he's not going to get up from that, but gave as good as he got. The Watford uh, players certainly did that. I did actually look at YouTube a little while ago and what what struck me was how hard the tackles were in those days Um, and people just kind of walked away from it and there was no rolling on the ground and there was no kind of standing up appealing to the referee for a free kick. didn't seem to happen. We got to half-time and it was fantastic and, uh, you know, that was one of the few times in the game just before and um, at half-time where you could hear the Watford fans. The Chelsea fans were silent and everyone was completely ecstatic that we'd kind of got there to half-time. But, yeah, we kind of started the second half and, unfortunately, uh, it, you know, the inevitable happened. Once the second goal went in, there was only one team in it. The ball hardly got over the halfway line. And, uh, and, and I, think, I think it could have been six. I think, that was, as I recall, there was a goal disallowed as well. I think it was Osgood with a goal disallowed. Certainly wasn't a missed opportunity. I think, you know, we'd been soundly beaten. Uh, we really couldn't complain. And uh, coming up against a team like Chelsea, who really were in their pomp at that time with, you know, players young players like Alan Hudson, um, ball-carrying midfield players. Osgood, who was an absolutely deadly centre-forward, a back line like David Webb and Ron Harris, was an ending. You know, I think on that day, he played as a lone striker. You know, was he ever actually going to be able to get past them? So, no, I mean, personally, um, and I think all of us uh, involved, and certainly the people I knew, regarded it as a, a good day out, great that we'd you know, beaten Stoke City and Liverpool to get there. But, oh well, never mind. Um, let's move on to try and survive in the division. We're the Orns, you're the Orns. Come on, you Orns! Mike, 
we can go and get him. Get him out of the boot. Get him out of the boot. He's still there. Poor old Jim. Yeah, serves him right being a Palace fan, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. uh, we've, we've captured a Palace fan. Uh, we're Mike, uh, if you want to go now into interrogation room, uh, and we will find out what we can find out from Jim, who uh, is our man on the inside, so we can get all the information ready for Sunday. We will know a little bit more and find out if we know our enemy. I'm going to ask him to look at the camera and introduce himself. We've been asked for proof of life by friends and family, so this is what this is going to be. There he is. The, where, where am I? The face. What's happening? The face of pure evil, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, that's a very nice house. So, so I've done okay for myself. Look at the camera. Hello. Tell the people who you are. Hello, my name is Jim Daly. I'm a Crystal Palace fan. Uh, I've been captured by Watford fans. Pre- I previously thought Watford fans were a nice bunch, but I've been taken hostage. Not anymore, um, And I am uh, the host of the Five Year Plan Fanzine podcast, which is a Palace podcast, and host of Palace Fan TV, which is a Palace fan channel. Uh, but I am now behind enemy lines. That's quite enough from you, Sunshine. Right, we're, li- we're live on Facebook. We're live on Periscope. Get your questions in. John and Jason, my co-captors slash conspirators, are around. They're checking the questions, so they will feed them through to me that we can ask the uh, the dastardly Jim here as as they come through. So any questions you've got for for Jason, John or me about Watford, or if you want to put, uh, put Jim through the ringer, then he's here for our use, guys, our use. So let's make the most of him. So let's get started. What do you and your filthy palace comrades know about Watford? <laughs> uh, what do I know about Watford? Um, I know a lot about Watford because actually Vicarage Road is my most visited away ground as a Crystal Palace fan. Uh, I think I've been there seven times uh, over the last however many years of being a Palace fan. Um, what, what I think about Watford is I actually think Watford and Crystal Palace are very, very similar teams. Trying to lull us into a false sense of security here. Right? Yeah, I'm trying to. I'm trying to make. I'm basically trying to get Stockholm syndrome going on here. <laughs> um, I think there's a lot of similarities between Watford and Palace. Not just you know that we've both recently been promoted. Similar sort of size clubs. Similar sort of fan bases. I think there's a lot. There's a lot of similarities between the two clubs. Um, what are you perhaps worried about from a from a Watford point of view ahead of the ahead of the semi final? In terms of what what Watford can do to Palace. Yeah. Well, the, the thing I'm most worried about is the fact that uh, we've been made by some of the bookies ever so slight favourites, which is a position that Palace never thrive in. When we when we played Watford in the 2013 playoff final, of course, a glorious day for, for Palace fans. Watch it, sunshine. <laughs> Watch it. <laughs> Sorry, I'm overstepping my mark. Um, we, we weren't favourites, of course. Watford were favourites for that, and quite rightly, given their form that season. And we had snuck into the playoffs. So we've been very lucky beat uh, Brighton in the semis, which is a glorious night for all Palestinians. There are right rivals, of course. Um, and I think we, do, we just don't seem to do very well when we are, when we are favourites. So, to be honest, that is the most worrying thing for me. But also the fact that Watford have got, they got some good players in there. My favourite player by far, a player that we were linked with a few years ago, is, is Troy Deeney, um, who I found out recently. So I joined a new Sunday team. Uh, so I'm, I'm new to the area. I'm new to Chesham. We can tell we wouldn't have found you wandering around out at the back. It wouldn't have been so easy to capture if you were, if you weren't suddenly. Anyway, carry on. So I've moved to Chesham from from. You've got to prove your value to us, by the way. You're not doing a great job so far. I've got to tell Why you. Not? I've been nice guy so far. Okay. This face can switch. Okay. Like that. It's gonna get. Is it gonna get worse? Yeah. Tell us what Alan Pardew is going to be telling Crystal Palace. How is he going to get under the skin of Watford? What's he going to do? Tell us 
what you know, Jim. Okay, can I tell you my Troy Deeney? Uh, no, first? absolutely <laughs> not. You'll be rewarded. You'll be rewarded okay. with that if you give us some juicy intel. Okay, go. What's he going to tell his, his palace his palace players? Um, he's firstly going to tell them to uh, stop conceding stupid goals um, and score. I mean, we can't. We struggle to score goals. We really have struggled to score goals this season. So that is our is our main issue. We've so we before the last few weeks we beat Norwich a few weeks ago. We went on a probably I'm sure everyone knows it's a 14 game winless run stretching back to the to the middle of December, and I no one can really work out why that happened. And to be honest, I don't think Alan Pardew knew why that happened. Pardew is is a, he's a good manager, right? He, and he's been great for Palace. He's a, he's a Palace former player, so a bit of a cult hero. wasn't actually a very good player but has become a cult hero through one goal in the semi-final in 1990. But he's very stubborn, very stubborn. And all through this this winless run, he stuck, he stuck with his team. He didn't ever really amend it. He always tried to win games, and there was plenty of games in that, including sort of Watford at home, um, where really a bit more of a defensive display or a bit more of a defensive setup would have, I think, got us a point. And of course, Watford beat us 2-1. Um, finally, in, in the last couple of weeks, it started to come together. And he started to amend it a little bit and sort of learn from his ways. But in terms of what he'll be telling Palace, I don't think he'll tell them anything different from what he said all season, which is get the ball to the wings, try and score lots of goals, which doesn't really happen, and then worry about the rest when it, when it, when it comes to doing it. All right. So you've mentioned the wings there, and I think that we're worried about Mr. Balassi. Mm-hmm. We're worried about Wilf. Mm-hmm. How are we going to stop these boys? Uh, you'll stop Balassi. You won't stop Balassi unless he. How do we stop Balassi? <laughs> okay, you can stop. You can stop Balassi and Wilf by putting as many men on them as possible. Particularly Zaha, he really struggles when he's got two or three men on him. And in fact, when Balassi was injured during this winless run, Wilf was the only player really attacking wise that we had as an outlet. And he played very well and and scored a few goals and got some assists. But when teams double or triple marked him he really struggled he didn't Wolf is a young kid and he's uh, very talented but he gets his head down sometimes and just thinks I've got to beat them with skill and if that doesn't happen he's like well I don't know what to do and to be honest that's what sort of happened to Palace in, in that winless run when Balassi comes back it's a bit more sort of balanced because defenders get dragged up by Balassi or dragged up by Wilf and the other gets space but to be honest if you do double up on them both of them, which I guess takes out four players. But anyway, you know, if you're a bit more fluid in the way you, you do it, you, you can stop them. But they do st- still have that little bit of something that even then can, can open games. Intelligence um, has told us, some of our uh, specially placed sources mm-hmm. have said that Zaha perhaps hasn't been treated particularly well by Pardew and that's that's how some Palace fans feel. What, what do you think about that? I, uh, I would disagree with that. Um, he... Well, because Wolf is a young boy, you, I think Pardew feels like he has to treat him a bit like a dad. So he sort of, or he sort of punishes him when he's not playing very well by dropping him. Like I'm about to punish you shortly, Jim. Well, that sounds very sinister indeed. I don't even want to know where that's going to go. And um, but then sort of praising him when he when he plays well, and that, and that literally is you know after the game saying Wolf was really good today, or after the game saying Wolf was pretty bad today. Um, so I wouldn't say it's he's been particularly harsh on him. I think he's just trying to find a way to manage him. Because with, with Balassi, I don't think you need to. You, Balassi knows when he's played badly. You don't have to do anything. You can just put him on the pitch and see what happens. Wilf is a, is a bit more delicate. 
And I think you have to sort of man-manage him. And Pardew was trying to do that. But then Pardew's got a very sort of direct way, I think, of dealing with his players anyway. So it probably comes across as harsh. But to be honest, it has worked. In fact, when we played Watford at Vicarage Road earlier this season, Wilf uh, came off the bench and won a penalty. And, and I personally think changed the game, played very well. Previous few games, he hadn't been playing very well. And Pardew had called him out publicly and dropped him. So, you know, that's evidence of the fact that it can work. You've mentioned the spot kick. Who is going to take the inevitable penalty slash penalties? And which side will they put them? <laughs> um, yeah, Hank Bay will take one. And we'll just put it in the goal. <laughs> <laughs> You're a slippery, slippery boy. What about um, uh, up front? Yeah. Connor Wickham? Yeah. Any good? Um, could be good. Yes. Yes, good. Yes, yes, good. That's not, that's not English. Um, still quite young. 22, 23... Mm-hmm. Definitely has the qualities, I think, to be a good striker, but struggling with fitness at the moment. Had a couple of injuries this season. Um, and so probably won't last the game. If he starts, we'll come off after 60 minutes yeah. or we'll come on. If it goes to extra time, and if he comes on and goes to extra time, he'll, he'll struggle in the later stages. Um, but he's the only striker we've got that can play that lone man role. Because Watford sort of played two up front, mm-hmm. don't they? We, we still play one up front with the wingers. And if that guy up top isn't doing everything which is hold the ball up play it run into channels try and score goals flick on with headers you have to do everything Wickham is the only player in our squad that can do that and even he at times struggles for form or struggles for fitness so he's got the qualities for it but whether he'll actually do that on the day I, I don't know we'll wait and see right I'm really going to make you sweat now Jim okay. I'm really going to make you work this is where you buy your freedom okay. and you buy the opportunity to do that Troy uh, Deeney anecdote, which you've been building up to yeah, for a while I'm now. To so I assume it's, it's going to be amazing. So really looking forward to that. I'm sure everyone everyone watching and listening is as well. Now, you've got to run through the starting 11. Yeah. doesn't have to be in the correct order, but it's probably easier for you to start the goalkeeper way forward. Okay. And you've got up to five words yeah. to describe each of those players. Okay. Are you ready? Yeah, Descri- to describe who they are or how they'll play. You know, well, how good they are. How good they are, okay. Or what they do, or what, how Watford are going to stop them, whatever. We okay. need intel, remember. You need intel, okay. okay? And yeah. then we're on a timer here. Yeah, and my reward for the intel is the, the, Troy the, the anecdote. Troy anecdote. Um, I should have bargained for more than that. <laughs> really? There's only one person bargaining here, Jim. It ain't you, sunshine. In goal. Wayne Hennessy. Sometimes good flaps at corners. Left back. Uh, Pape Soiree goes from sublime to ridiculous. Centre-backs. Scott Dan should be playing for England. Uh, Damien Delaney should be playing for Ireland. Uh, uh, Joel Ward at right back uh, was good, now struggles a bit. That's six words. Yeah. Uh, you'll, you'll pay for that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You're enjoying this, aren't you? Very much. Um, midfield, Johan Kabay, probably best player we've ever had that's six again um Milo Jednak old beard <laughs> beard there you go I've saved you your four <laughs> words that you went over there beard Next. beard 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 um Jason Punchin number 10 cry baby cry baby but just ah oh, but just pu- emotion Maybe we should have kidnapped, kidnapped him. I think he might have been easier, easier to crack than you. Probably, yeah, probably would have done. Oh. Probably would have done. Absolute Palace hero. In fact, absolute Palace hero tears. Um, on the wings, Wilfred Zaha, um, p- potential to win the game. That's awful. Um, no, um, in- inconsistent, but great footwork. Um, and then Yannick Balassi, uh 
game winner, game winner, that's hyphened, that's one. All right. If he feels like it, that's also hyphened. All right. I think I'm, you've done... I'm the striker. <laughs> yeah, I'm not letting you have a striker. <laughs> that's, that's where I think... Go on then. Uh, Connor Wickham, uh, nice hair, could score goals. Very good. I think you've done well under pressure there. I'm still in two minds as to whether we're going to release you back into the world. I think you still okay. could, could be value to us. So let's try and enjoy the time we've got. Let's hear this Troy Deeney anecdote. Okay, um, so I'm actually really regretting this now because uh, the more I've thought about it, it's really not a very good uh, anecdote at all. But um, I've joined, uh, sorry, I'm new to Cheshire. I've joined a new Sunday league team because I'm still trying to play. I'm, I'm, I'm into my 30s now, but I'm trying to play football still. Um, but by play, it mostly means come off the bench for the last 15 minutes. Join a team from Amersham. I'm one of the guys that, that uh, sort of helps run the team. Works with Troy Deeney. Troy Deeney is his client. In, oh, and I'm not sure what he does. He didn't tell me what he did. Blimey. But Troy Deeney is his quote-unquote client. Um, and this chap, Steve, very nice guy, was telling me the other day that Troy Deeney has got a fetish. And, he, and that was the face I made as well. His fetish is for trainers. He owns 150 yeah. pairs of trainers, yeah. including one... Uh, which cost him fifteen hundred pounds, which are gold, like solid gold trainers. Yes. Well, I think you were right to be worried about that, anecdote <laughs> because Troy's desire, love of trainers is well known around oh, here. Oh no! Um, so it. I'm glad we gave it the big build-up. Oh, I did. I did warn. I did warn you. It might be terrible. Always believe in your soul. You got the power to know you're indestructible. Always believe in You're listening to From the Rookery End. I'm excited. <laughs> I'm so excited, Michael. Um, what time? I think I'm going to have to leave the house at like 8 o'clock in the morning just to make sure the wife <laughs> doesn't get annoyed. Yeah, bouncing off the walls. Right? Yeah, I'm excited. I've already warned everyone connected with me um, that, yeah. Either be on time to leave nice and early so I can get a beer inside me at an appropriate time um, or feel my wrath. <laughs> now, Jason, uh, you've had the podcast and have a think about this. Um, as your uh, managerial expert, I have coached uh, under uh, year six at school, but there's nothing. Um, so everyone's debating it. You've got 11 players to start the game. Um, we'll debate the differences in a minute. But who is your 11 from, from back to front? Okay, my 11 is uh, Costel Pantelli, one in goal. Ooh. Left back, Nathan Ake. Centre backs, Craig Cathcart. And uh, we go Britos. Right back, Juan Carlos Paredes. Ooh. Midfield, uh, I'm, I'm going against my beliefs. So I'm sticking with the 4 4 2 that. Uh, Kike seems to have employed recently, and we will have Watson and Kapu in the middle. Uh, and on the wings, we will have Nordin Amrabat and Ikechi Anya. Oh! Yep. And up front, we'll have Dini and Igalo. Mike, what do you think? Really interesting. Yeah, I don't really know where to start there, Jase. I think, well, I do know where to start, and I think that's between the sticks. I think that's. Um, an interesting one. We, Jason and I, were just speaking off mic, as I believe the term is, um, and we both agree that I think Kike will be a man of his word, so to speak. I don't doesn't necessarily work like that, but it's the unwritten um, premise, isn't it? The unwritten law that uh, that Pantilimon has played in goal in the in the cups, and I think it's unlikely 
Kike doesn't strike me as the sort of man who's just about to 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 rip that sort of thing up, and um, he's a man of his word, isn't he? And the other thing is, after Aurelio's heroics at um, a good name for a band, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, after Aurelio's heroics at the Hawthorns, Aurelio- <laughs> look at that, Aurelio's Hawthorns heroics. Um, he's bound to drop an absolute clangor at Wembley if he comes in, isn't it? It's too much pressure. So yeah, um, I'm I'm inclined to agree, and quite frankly. I don't think Pantillimon will let us down. I think he's uh, he's he's a great goalkeeper. He's experienced, and and there we go. Either or are going to be absolutely fantastic. So I think I think we're, we're sport there. So- it, it it ain't nineteen eighty seven no. anymore. But let's go back to so uh, Paredes. Yeah, I um right. We know what Palace have got up front. It's pace, 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 and pace. It's punching. Uh, it's Saha. <laughs> with this alliteration it's, again. It's it's Sacco. Uh, it's Balassi, they're all quick. Um, and I thought Paredes did a, a decent job uh, against Everton the other week, uh, and I'd be happy to to give him a start. If you think about Neil, he's got a touch of the uh, cassettes about him. He is prone to sort of a lazy challenge, um, which we really don't want to be seeing again on the uh, on the Wembley turf. So, yeah, I can kind of see. I, th- I think, obviously, Paredes has got his limitations, and Joe Jace is aware of that as he's... Uh, well, as we all are, but yeah, I think I think it's interesting. I, I'm really keen to see whether he's going to play Aki, because he seems to have gone off him in quite a big way. I I get the impression that opposition teams have been targeting Aki somewhat recently, um, and I think that's probably due to a lack of concentration in games. And I think we saw that in evidence in the Arsenal game, that first goal. He, he lost concentration there. I still. Fancy him uh, against Palace's quick players over Holabasso. Okay, and the other one then, the other one is uh, starting Anya, which hasn't really happened. No, um, we've said it before numerous times, I think, on this podcast that Anya's best position seems to be in a more advanced role because it seems to work for him when he's playing for Scotland. Um, and it gives teams something to think about his pace. Um, Stoke, we weren't very good. Anya comes on, he gets wide, and he and he creates something, and something happens. So you don't want you don't want to bring him on as a sub. No, I want him from the start. I think if you look at the players that I've not included, you've got Harada. If you want someone to try and make something happen, and we need to make something happen, and we probably want to be less about being hard to beat, uh, then we bring on Harado. But Anya, as well as offering something pace for. Palace to think about of us going forward he will be able to help us defend against those quick players as well but I think it is going to be Gerardo and it'll be the other way around to what you described it won't it I think Gerardo will start and then if we need something then then it might be Anya that comes on I think the interesting thing I read an interview with 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 Troy Deeney the other day about the um about the playoff final and it's impossible not to talk about the about that again because the similarities are obviously so massive and and he admitted that the team didn't turn up. They were overawed by it. He said 20 minutes in, he was still looking um, looking around and sort of taking it in. And you kind of think that's that's a bit of a, a myth. But he, 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 he coughed to it and said when he when he came out, the, the flames were going up. And um, he said, well, this is the sort of thing that we usually see on TV. Um, and we spoke to Jay Demerit a couple of weeks ago. And he said, well, we, they got that sus. So I'd like to think that the attention to detail that Kike and, and, and the Pozzos and the, other, and the other guys at the club will, will, will bang that out of them. And that anyone who plays in this game is going to give it the, the game of their life. And I'd love to see Anya start for that very reason. Because I think he kind of still feels like he's got 
locked in somewhere that uh, a performance, a big performance, and where better for that to to show itself than uh, than on the on the Wembley turf? Uh, we've still got some, uh, not a lot, but some of the players who played in that that player final against Palace still there. I think, like I say, the fact that Troy is one of those and he's such a leader now um, is probably going to play. You know, that 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 knowledge of, of that and experience will just will shine through. Uh, I'd love to know. That's that's the. That's the next time we chat to Troy. Tell us about or before you know, the, the the night before, the days before Wembley. What did you do? Um, I think his his role will be, be vital to that. Uh, it's coming. It's days away. Watford are in the FA Cup semi final at Wembley. Um, there's a lot of Watford fans going. Um, uh, have fun, whatever. Um, stay safe. But uh, it's it's going to be we're going to be recording our the next podcast all the all day long um, as we sort of prepare ourselves uh, and then whatever happens and then however we feel at the end of it uh, and that will be out uh, next 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 Sunday next Monday. I'm not going to let you because you're about to try and do it finish this podcast without at least mentioning the West Ham game and it's interesting, isn't it? As Watford supporters, we've become. I've mentioned this before, we've become those supporters that we've always questioned their motives. We're worried about our, our players going off on international duty. We'd rather wrap them up in cotton wool and, and protect Watford. And now on against West Ham, we're going to, to play... What I don't like the term weakened team because it's never a weakened team. These are professional footballers who are played at high wages um, and are deemed good enough for, for the squad. So it's not a weakened side, but it will be a vastly changed side against West Ham. And it's interesting how quickly... I'm very, very comfortable with that because it is. This podcast has been all about the the semi final and unashamedly, unashamedly so, because it is a massive game. You mentioned there, enjoy it, do enjoy it because they are special. We don't know when the next one will be. Make the most of it. Um, but interesting, isn't it? How quickly we we have we you sort of morph into those guys who worry about international call ups and and weakened teams. But we, but our focus is on that semi as as fans on that. You know that's where the players' minds are going to be. Oh, it's just another game. No, their minds will not be on West Ham, especially now at past forty one points. Well it should be it should be. I'm excited about West Ham. It's a football match that Yeah but but okay if you've got hundred percent of your brain, how much of that is on West Ham? Forty at the most. Well, don't tell me what percentage of my brain is on on what, because you really wouldn't want to know what. Was it? <laughs> uh, we're going to be we're going to be all right for West Ham because Gomez is going to be in goal, so <laughs> no problem. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be fun at uh, at the the bowling ground. Aurelio v the Hammers. <laughs> Say that again. Aurelio v the Hammers. <laughs> yes. Oh, any more alliteration? No. Okay. Uh, thank you, actually, for listening. Uh, make sure you subscribe. Make sure you tell your friends. Um, and it's time. For one more trip to Wembley, another Cronuons! A podcast made by Watford fans, fans for Watford fans from the rookery end.